everyone, and welcome to the MIFA podcast. I'm Jonathan Hughes. And I'm Julie Shields Rutina. Hey, Julie, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? Okay, doing pretty well. I'm very excited about this show because we got another great guest this week. Founder and president of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors, Betsy Mayotte, will be joining us. And there's just about nobody who knows more about student loans than Betsy. She's contributed to the U.S. News and World Report, HuffPost, and Yahoo, among others. And she's always a coveted speaker and presenter at any conference at which she appears. And Julie, what is she going to be discussing with us today? Yeah, so she'll be discussing the end of the federal student loan repayment freeze. Mm. And the COVID relief package and the resumption of repayment, as well as some of the new changes to the federal public service loan forgiveness program. And as you know, there is nobody better to talk about these things than Betsy. So you definitely want to stick around. Now let's go to my conversation with president and founder of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors, Betsy Mayotte. Betsy Mayotte is the founder and president of the Institute of Student Loan Advisors, a resource which gives student loan borrowers access to free, fair student loan advice and dispute resolution. She's also regularly quoted in the media on student loan issues, including in the Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Boston Globe, and has contributed articles to the US News and World Report, Yahoo and HuffPost, among others, including that Newsweek magazine that you see behind her. That's the cover story that they are quoted in. And I say all of this just to say how lucky we are to have her here with us today to discuss the resumption of federal student loan repayment that paused with the CARES Act. So Betsy, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. I love talking about this stuff and I'm really glad that we're gonna get this information out to your audience. It's really important. Um, I wonder if you could talk, cause I, I, I did mention, you know, some of your background, but I don't think I quite got it. Um, could you just explain what led you, you know, your path and, and what led you to create the Institute of Student Loan Advisors? The answer I sometimes give people is, you know, my father had a career uh, in credit union leadership and my mother was a teacher. So I tell people that education finance was my genetic destiny. Um, but the truth of the matter is I've been involved in the student loan industry since the dinosaurs roamed. It feels like uh, it's been over 25 years at this point. And I spent the majority of my career as a compliance officer at a large nonprofit student loan organization in Boston. Um, and over the course of my career as a compliance officer, you know, my job was to have sort of a nerd level uh, knowledge of student loan regulations and laws in order to make sure the company was doing what it was supposed to. But as sort of a side effect of that, I realized that because I had that detailed understanding of the regulations that that could also be really helpful to borrowers. Um, so it started with, you know, sort of me getting the more complex cases on my desk. And then gradually, I was lucky enough uh, to work for leadership that let me evolve my role. So while I stayed as a compliance officer, I also branched out into student loan borrower advocacy. Um, and during that, and it was I felt the two things went really great together because uh, not only was I able to use my knowledge to help borrowers to have an impact, um, but also seeing the way the regulations affected people in real life helped me as a compliance officer because when I had the opportunity to influence those regulations, I had that experience to 
to, you know, sort of submit as part of the conversation. Um, so during that time, I came to the, I, what I learned was that there were, first of all, that there were a lot of scams that were developing out there that borrowers were falling victim to. Um, and then I noticed that a lot of people were asking student loan questions on social media. And that flummoxed me. Like, why would you ask questions to internet strangers where you don't know their credentials on something so important? Um, and so that led me to believe between the scams and that experience that consumers were looking for a third party that had no vested interest in their loans that could provide them with expert advice and they knew that it was neutral and safe and correct. And um, I looked around for someone that was doing that kind of work and I couldn't find anyone. So I decided to found Tesla and here we are. And, and it's a free resource as well. Right, that's our, we're a 501c3 charity. Uh, so anyone uh, can email us with their questions or if they have a dispute and we answer most emails within a business day uh and there's zero charge for that we will never charge borrowers for anything we're going to be talking about this this student loan repayment pause and that is coming to an end um so can you tell us how this came about in the first place yeah so this is just the past like two years in student loans has just been really interesting and exciting because there's been several things that have happened that nothing anywhere close to that has happened in in my entire career and you know let's start with these uh, student loan repayment waivers that came as a result of the pandemic now you know prior to covid i've been through my share of disasters in the student loan industry hurricane katrina 9-11 um the the california wildfires and there has always been some sort of relief offered to federal student loan borrowers, but that was in the form of a forbearance. So interest still accrued, it was usually only for 90 days. So when the CARES Act waivers came out, this was really unprecedented because, um, so technically they're calling in a forbearance. <clears throat> I'm calling in a waiver because it doesn't act like any other forbearance a borrower might recognize. So not only did it put payments on hold, it gave the borrower 0% interest. So they're, they're not harmed because the payments are on hold and interest is still accruing. Uh, it also is showing up on their credit report like they're in a repayment status and in good standing. So it's not only not harming the borrower because the loans are on hold, in some cases it might actually be helping them, um, especially if maybe they were in, um, they had their payment paused due to financial hardship prior to COVID. Mm. These months also count towards the um, number of payments you need to get forgiveness under either public service loan forgiveness, the temporary expansion of PSLF, or the income-driven plans. As long as you're fulfilling the other criteria, such as working full-time for an eligible employer, they're going to give you credit just like you made a payment. In fact, I've worked with um, dozens, if not hundreds of people that have received forgiveness during COVID utilizing the COVID months. The COVID waivers also um, <clears throat> for borrowers uh, that may have defaulted during COVID, some of those defaults are being reversed because of these CARES Act waivers. If the borrower was already in default, 
there's a program called rehabilitation where if you make nine payments um, on time in a row, they'll reverse the default and lower the collection costs. These COVID waivers are counting for those rehabs as well. So there's people that have been able to get out of default without having to make those nine payments. The fact that they've extended those waivers to over a year and a half um, is, is really something too. I've worked with a lot of borrowers who have said that they would have defaulted um, because their income was significantly reduced due to the pandemic. And I've talked to other borrowers that have paid off or taken a huge chunk out of their loans because they've been enjoying that 0% interest rate. So it's just had a real positive impact on thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Well, I can tell you that one of those people is me. I actually paid off my student loan during this time due to, uh, at least in part, to that 0% interest. So I know it's been uh, very generous to people. I didn't know it was quite as generous as that. Can you tell us um, when this is coming to an end and, and what can borrowers uh, expect? Um, well, what they did provided immediate relief in a pretty simple way. Like people didn't have to apply for it, for example. They just sort of gave it to everybody. Um, there's a lot of research out there that shows that a big indicator of successful student loan management is simply the borrowers that make their first uh, 12 or 24 payments on time. Um, those people are way, way less likely to default than others. And what that's about, it's about the habit of repayment, just getting in the habit of repayment. Um, and that's one of the, that's part of the psychology behind that loan rehabilitation program that I mentioned to you before is the reason you have to make nine consecutive payments is part of it is showing good faith, but the other part is getting you back in the habit of making the payment. One of the other issues is we've got 42 million people all being taken off this waiver at the same time. Now I know that the Department of Education and the servicers have been working very hard to prepare for this, but the fact of the matter is you can't prepare for this. Um, it's going to be a, a tidal wave, and I think people are borrowers are going to have might experience extended wait times reaching their loan servicers to ask questions. Uh, they should expect to uh, have experienced longer wait times getting paperwork processed, like if they have to apply for a lower payment option or a deferment. Um, and I think that in and of itself might lead to an increase in delinquency and default rates. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about that. And again, I think it's something we're going to experience. It's going to take a while for the dust to settle on that. Can they actually contact their servicer and be counseled on which option is is going to be the best for them before this yes. comes out of a pause. A thousand percent, yes. Um, their their servicer can go through the different repayment options with them. If the borrower is ready with some numbers, meaning they should what they should the borrower should have in front of them is their or at least a ballpark adjusted gross income understanding what their family size is, having a general idea of what they can afford, um, whether if they are married, whether their spouse has student loans, because that can be part of the calculation and what their spouse's income might be. Uh, those kind, If they have that stuff ready, or even if they don't, at least, again, at least if they have a ballpark, then their servicer can go through all the options and give them an estimate of what their payment would be um, under those different plans. Now, the borrower can also do this all by themselves. If they don't, if you're like me and hate 
getting on the telephone. Um, if you go to studentaid.gov, they have something called the loan simulator. And if you, you can plug your numbers in and it will give you an estimate of not only what your payment will be, but also if you stayed on that plan, but the total amount you'd pay out of pocket over time. And if you were pursuing a loan forgiveness program, whether you would end up with forgiveness in the end. But the most important number of what I just listed is the amount you pay over time. And, and why is that? Well, the name of the game is to pay the least amount over time. So some people get hyper-focused on either getting the lowest payment possible or loan forgiveness. And, you know, unless you are pursuing loan forgiveness and are pretty confident you actually will get forgiveness in the end, choosing the lowest monthly payment usually means paying the most out of pocket. Um, interest accrues on student loans on a daily basis, and uh, there is no minimum interest amount. So the quicker you pay the loan off, usually the least amount of interest you pay over time. Now, I feel like this is probably a good time to, to sort of back up a little bit again and just clarify which loans that, that borrowers may have are affected by everything that we're talking about here and which loans are not. Really, really good question. Um, what we've been talking about for the most part are federal student loans. Um, and within the federal student loans, there is multiple federal loan programs, which can cause some confusion. Uh, so back before 2010, there were two primary federal student loan programs, and they were both exactly the same, except where they were different. Uh, both uh, one program was called the direct loan program, and the other was called the federal family education loan program or the FEL. Now, the third major one is Perkins, and we'll just put that over. We'll park that one over here for a minute. Um, FEL and direct loans, they both have Stafford loans, they both have Parent PLUS loans, they both have Grad PLUS loans, they both did consolidations. And back then, the terms and conditions were, were pretty close to identical. Um, whether you got a FEL or direct loan was not a choice that you, the consumer, had. Um, it, based, it was based on what the school participated in, and the school could either participate in one or the other. And up until about 2009, at least 80% of the schools uh, utilized the FEL. Um, and then in 2010, Congress got rid of the FEL. So if all your loans were taken out after 2010, you, you have direct loans. If they were any were taken out prior, it could be either one. And the, for the COVID waivers, COVID waivers were only applied, and this is again where it gets confusing for people, to federally held federal student loans. And what that means is all direct loans and a small portion of the Fell and Perkins that have over the years had been sold to the Department of Education. Um, most Fell and Perkins are what we call commercially held. Perkins loans are held by the school and Fell loans are held by a private lender. They are federal loans, but they're held by a private lender. Um, and those were not eligible for any of the COVID waivers. Uh, now, there's also private loans and like MIFA um, and state loans. There's also institutional loans. Those uh, were never eligible for the COVID waivers and whatever relief was made available to them was dependent on the lender and what they chose to offer. Excellent. Okay. Now, if you're not sure what type of federal loans that you have, if you have those direct loans or if you have those privately held federal loans, or even if you have private loans, um, how can you find out? 
So all your federal loans are listed on the Department of Education's website, which is studentaid.gov. And if you're not, if you have loans prior to 2010, you don't know if they're fell or direct, you can log in there and you can tell there. Uh, the easiest thing to do is call your loan holder, your servicer, and ask them, do I have fell or do I have direct? And they'll tell you. Um, private loans aren't going to show up on, um, at studentaid.gov. You would find them the best. If you don't know where they are, you don't know who holds them, check your credit report. Can you explain basically who a servicer is, what it is, and if somebody doesn't know who their servicer is, what can they do? Sure. Uh, a servicer is essentially a contractor that's been hired by the lender. And in some cases, that lender is the Federal Department of Education. Uh, in the direct loan program, the lender is the federal government. So a servicer is a contractor that's been hired to maintain the loan and collect the loan. So they're the ones that is go are going to answer your questions if you call. They're the ones that are processing your payment. They're the ones that are billing you for your payment. Um, and up until the loan actually defaults, if you become delinquent on your payments, they're the ones that are going to be sending you those Nudgy reminder letters or making Nudgy reminder phone calls to you um, and also to try to help you um, get current or if you need a deferment and that kind of thing. And if you don't know who your servicer is, studentaid.gov. It will tell you who the servicer is um, and the contact information for that servicer. What do you think students or graduates, maybe some of whom haven't made payments yet, um, what will they expect to be seeing in terms of notifications or, or um, you know, messages from their servicer leading up to their resumption of repayment? Well, um, before I answer that, I think this is a great time to remind people that uh, now is a great time to make extra sure that um, the Department of Education and your loan servicer has up-to-date contact information because they're already starting to send out reminders and um, informational letters and emails um, to borrowers to in anticipation of the ending of the COVID waiver. So if you don't, if they don't have your up-to-date address, you're not going to get that information. And not getting that information, if you end up going delinquent because of it, because you didn't realize that you're that you're pay, you had payments due again, that's not a defense to default. So it could negatively affect your credit um, in a real, even in either a, a mild way, just by showing you were 90 days delinquent, or in a huge way if you do end up defaulting. So you want to make sure they have up to date contact information, but and then you want to make sure uh, that you open your mail. Uh, if you're like me, uh, who, you know, pays all their bills online, it can sometimes take a minute for you to open your mail. So if you have student loans, you want to make sure that you're opening all your mail. Um, it's going to give you information about um, income-driven plans and how to apply for them and who's eligible for them. Uh, information about deferment. Um, if the, you know, there's been, you mentioned there's been a lot of news about servicers lately. A lot of that news is around servicers that aren't playing in student loans anymore. So uh, loans are transferring to different servicers. These letters are gonna let you know if your loan transferred and the contact information for who that new servicer is. I wanted to ask one more thing about, um, and it's not about the resumption of federal student loan payment, it's about the sort of the other federal loan topic that is frequently discussed 
in the media, and that is the public service loan forgiveness option. And you alluded to that earlier. And um, I know there's been some significant and temporary changes. And I don't know if you wanted to discuss the changes or, or, um, or not. Yeah, I mean, listen, this topic by itself, um, how long is the podcast? We've got like five, six hours, right? Um, sure. We have it all written out, I would like to say in plain English. Um, and we also have an FAQ document that also contains case studies. Um, I don't know, shameless plug, um, on our website, which is freestudentloanadvice.org. So if they go to freestudentloanadvice.org, go to the forgiveness tab, they'll see public service loan forgiveness and all the things, plus uh, more explanation and, and a link to that FAQ document. They're all right there for you. Freestudentloanadvice.org. Right. That's and then if a, they have questions yeah. even after that, just go to our contact page and email us through the contact page. And like I said, we answer most questions within a business day. So, well, thank you so much. Uh, this was as great as I thought it was going to be. Uh, so it's great to see you again. Great to have this conversation and good to have this resource for folks who may need it. And so hopefully I, uh, you'll come back and talk about public student. I love talking about this stuff. So whenever you like, let's do it. Thank you so much, Betsy. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks, you too. All right. Well, that is our show, everyone. Until next time, goodbye, everybody. 